Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. Because it all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. I am your boy Buzz, and I'm joined by everybody today. It's everybody. It's the whole Socks on Tap crew, much like Saturday, but this time we're actually recording and not getting completely shwasted. We'll, we'll, see, we'll actually see about that, and we'll give it some time here. But everybody, be sure you're going on tapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports and podcasting needs. Following us on Twitter at Socks on Tap at on Tap Sportsnet. Anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to us. So give us a five star rating and review because that's cool and tough and check out grandstand if you're by the ballpark go to grandstand or go to grandstandsocks.com follow them on socials at grandstand socks for all your white socks or chicago sports related gear guys it's the all-star break checkup we as in we are all obvious diehard white Sox fans and guys we're rolling into this thing right now but let, let's get some checkup check up here how's everybody doing tonight Buzz, I'm good, man. Uh, I, I don't know if I think Tony put out the tweet from Sox on Tap yesterday. I can't remember the last time I was just excited um, about the White Sox at the All-Star break. So it's great. We're going to dive into all of the uh, good stuff that happened in the first half, overcoming adversity, uh, next man up, resilience, all of that good shit. Um, but, yeah, good to be on and have all four of us on because usually it's a split crew, obviously, with the post-game show. But uh, always good to get the full gang back together, um, old school style. Tone? Guys, it's uh, it's been an excellent first half of the season. It's been awesome covering this team with you guys. I'm going to crack a beer, much like we did on Saturday night. That was a fun-ass time. Thank you guys all for joining uh, for, you know, just the end of, uh, end of what's been an excellent first half. Steve? Hey, yo, boys. Full squad. Twice in three days. Baby, let's go. Feeling good. Sox are in first place. Best record in the American League. Let's have some fun tonight, baby. Absolutely. And it, it's been an amazing ride thus far. I mean, you know, trials, tribulations, the clubhouse is or is not in shambles. I'm sure we'll touch on all of that here eventually. But right now, as Steve and all of you guys said, we're having a great time. 54 and 35, the best Record in the American League right now, Boston and Houston are number two at 55 and 36. White Sox have been rolling all year. Plethora of injuries, a bunch of crap going on, but we have some news, and that's what we're going to touch on first. I'm going off the famous Johnny Nani rundown. I cannot do a podcast without my Johnny Nani rundown, so I hope that was a good introduction, Johnny, because I'm going to let you get into it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all right, let's take it before we even really start with the numbers here. Did you think we would have the best record in the American League at the All-Star break? No, no, absolutely not. Even with even with the, the whole with roster the full being yeah, the full lineup, absolutely not. I thought that this team would still probably be battling it out with Cleveland, maybe Minnesota. Um, just a few different uh, lead changes uh, throughout uh, the first half of the season. I thought that we were going to need to make a trade deadline acquisition to put us over the top. 
I had no idea that we would be where we are right now. Uh, I thought this team was going to be very competitive, but if you go back to the beginning of this season when we did our preview show, guys, like I don't think any of us had first half best team in the AL. You know, full squad here. I would have thought that this team would have been right up here at the top as far as best teams in the American League. I wrote that in my uh, season prediction article. Obviously, then when all the injuries happened, my my mood kind of soured a little bit here. But, uh, you know, yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't have thought that with all the injuries that took place. I'm a homer, so I, I always say they're gonna. Um, I have, you know, no, I don't know, man. I think I had the Twins. Uh, that I remember, I just hate the twins and I'm always not optimistic about them. Always going to kick our ass, but that didn't happen. So, um, hey, hey, I Buzz, hey, Buzz, if I can interrupt for a second here, go, um, yeah. what, how are the twins doing by the way? Oh, um, they are really bad, which makes their fans mad online. Uh, Tone, would you say they're mad online? I would definitely say they're mad online. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic, but no, I don't know. I don't think I had him in first place right now. I did say playoff. I remember saying that um, in our in the re, or the review show that we did the season review show, um, but I don't think I had him in first, Johnny. No, yeah, I, I just wanted to get that because look at this team exceeding expectations, and that is with all of the injuries that we had. That will be a major uh, storyline as we go through where things stand here. Uh, you look at things like run differential. That the White Sox look good, third best in baseball, plus one seventeen, only behind the Dodgers and Houston. Um, you know, home cooking playing really well at the rate. 31 and 14. So that's great to see for, you know, we, we have all been able to get out to games luckily so far this year. Uh, can't wait for that as it, it continues with full capacity uh, leading through the second half. Uh, 23 and 21 on the road. Hey, thanks, Orioles. You got us up over 500 on the road over the weekend. So thank you. We'll take that. Um, and I guess the concern here, guys, is uh, 16 and 25 versus teams above 500. Yes, I know you don't pick your schedule. You have to play the teams that are in your division. But we saw a situation like I know it was early in the season, but you play a team uh, pretty well against the Rays. Uh, you played the Blue Jays pretty well uh, early on. And then you go to Houston and drop four. So that would be an area of concern when we're talking about this record and kind of nitpicking it. But Overall, um, you're taking care of business against the teams that you need to. Obviously, we saw that with a sweep of these Baltimore Orioles over the weekend. We've seen uh, beatdowns of the Twins because they are a team you should beat this year after they basically uh, lost the division. They lost a playoff spot in April. You know, you can't win it in April, but you can sure as hell lose it. They did that. White Sox have beaten up on them. Uh, you know, Tigers have done, I, I think, you know, They've gotten us a couple of times here and there, uh, but overall, I think at the end of it, when it's all said and done, the White Sox will uh, take that season series from the Tigers as well. So um, do, what are we kind of, you know, surprised with, impressed with? What, what do we, do you have concerns? Go, go ahead and just talk general state of the team, and then we'll get to kind of how we got to this point of, uh, you know, the factors that contributed to uh, having the prominent record that they do right now. I guess I'd say I'm surprised the most that we're competing with all these injuries, like the injuries that we've had. I mean, look at it, Luis Robert, Michael Kopech for over a month. Uh, and I mean, I know he's back now, obviously Eloy Jimenez, who's hitting piss missiles and single ages is going up to, to Charlotte, triple a, uh, tomorrow. Um, Nick Madrigal going down. I mean, it's just Yasmani Grandal going down. Uh, it's just unbelievable. That's what I'm most surprised about is the fact that they are competitive and not only competitive, that they're winning. And, and going back to your point about us being, you know, 16 and 24 against uh, or 16, and 25 against teams above 500, that uh, it's fine with me. You be, beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, gain momentum. Once you get to the postseason, you never know what the hell is going to happen. That That's a crapshoot. So if you whoever's playing the hottest baseball is going to usually nine times out of 10 
win. Also, another thing to be very confident about is our record on the road this year. I know, again, we just swept the Orioles and it helped us out, but being 23 and 21 on the road, boys, that's not easy. It's not easy for any major league team. I don't care how good you are. I mean, it's, it's hard. And that's what they're doing right now. And obviously, we've been getting, you know, we've been getting the dubs at the rate. So I'll take that all day. But, but most surprised, like I am, is because of the injuries itself. The most surprising thing that I've seen all year is does some dude named Jude say that Tim Anderson is not good at baseball? That is the most surprising thing that I've seen all year. I just got to go out and say it because. As we've said on this show, he's the straw that stirs the drink. He's even missed a few games, nagging injuries and stuff. But if you really look at this lineup, it's been driven by Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu. And both of those guys, we can make arguments, haven't even been the best versions of themselves. So there's been a lot of supplement uh, supplemental offense that this team has received. And you look at this pitching staff. I mean, each guy through the rotation right now, you feel comfortable with throwing the baseball as your starting pitcher in almost every single ball game. You go back to all the other years that we've watched this team and you can, you can always pick out one or two guys in the rotation where you're like, this is going to be a problem. I'm sorry. I know we loved Ross Detweiler here, but like, did we really feel that fucking confident with him on the mound? Did we feel confident with Reynaldo Lopez? No, I I did for Ross, but all right. That's, that's, (laughs) That's the biggest thing so far this year. And Buzz, I want to double down on, on some of the injury things you talked about. This team's missing Aaron Bummer and Evan Marshall right now, two vets out of the bullpen who are seventh and eighth inning options. It, this team has all the talent in the world, and I truly do believe they're going to make some noise because they have it. My one key takeaway from this first half, it, it, one word, resiliency. I've talked about this a couple of times on some of the postgame shows with, with everybody here. Unless you're the 2018 Red Sox or the 86 Mets, um, you know, some of those historic teams, the 98 Yankees that just go and run people over from start to finish, you're going to face some adversity throughout the course of 162 game baseball season. This team has had a shit ton of it already here through the first half of this season. And they have found a way to overcome this, that next man up mentality that we've talked about quite a bit, the contribution that they've gotten from unheralded guys that you weren't expecting anything out of from the Jay clams of the world, from the Billy Hamiltons, from the Larry Garcia's um, just kind of up and down this roster. They're getting contributions from guys, plugging them in, in spots when pivotal guys have gotten hurt. If you would have told me that three guys from the starting lineup would get injured, one guy would be lost for the season in June. And then, you know, your two best out starting outfielders, would play 25 games, all of which coming from Luis Robert at the All-Star break, and they'd be in first place. I said there's no fucking chance. But this team is continuing to find a way. They they have a belief in themselves. And we talk, Tony, you talk about the it factor with it. There is definitely something there with this team. And the fact that they just keep finding a way when they get some sort of adversity pushed in front of them, they say, all right, fuck it. We're going to overcome. This is what we're going to do. Yes, Steve, I'll double down on your point. Yeah, you said uh, resiliency. I'll use next man up is the factor that um, has been the most surprising to me because I didn't think you would get the levels of production that you would, especially out of a guy like Brian Goodwin, who is our cleanup hitter right now. Um, Noted, you know, the power rake type of guy uh, is guys like him. Larry Garcia turning it on as of late. You had J- Jake Lamb with a like 146 weighted runs created plus at some point in like 
early June. Like it was insane. You were getting the, and I just did not expect that. I thought we were going to drop off and I thought we were going to have, um, you know, really have to grind it out even against some of those teams uh, that are definitely worse than us, the teams that we should be beating. But, um, and there have been, there's always going to be times where that's going to happen within an individual game, but on the overall, uh, the ability of the next men up to go and do that, because guess what? All right. We we all went in a little bit here on performance and on the field stuff. So let's talk general karma luck. Okay, they had terrible luck with when you're talking about injuries. Obviously, we know the long list of guys, especially impact guys that have gone down. Um, and people are some I've seen some refer to it as the White Sox are getting all their bench luck in one year. Well, guess what? That's the universe even evening itself out to me. The baseball gods giving you a little something back, even though they took a big chunk away from you to start. So th- that's my first initial thoughts here uh, when we're talking about where the White Sox stand at the All Star break. Let's dive into how we got here a little bit, and I think we need to have to absolutely start at the top with starting pitching. I know we'll get to depth guys in a little bit, talk a little bit more about them, but you're not here without Carlos Rodon, Lance Lynn, uh, the other guys in the rotation there with uh, Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease, Dallas Keuchel. Obviously, not exactly what we expected from Giolito this year, but hey, you get an absolute career year from Carlos Rodon here. Uh, he, he is very well deserving of, of being out in Denver right now uh, at the All-Star game, along with Lance Lynn, 199 ERA. That is cool and tough. Um, and, you know, D- Dylan Cease starting to figure some things out. Not as consistent, I don't think, as we would like it right now, but we got to remember, this guy's still young, still figuring out, and he has strikeout potential. Uh, able to settle in we saw uh, after the first two batters in that Sunday game last one before the all-star break here and my biggest thing and before I hand it over to you guys talk about starting pitching whatever you want to branch off into is knock on wood here no major injuries we've had that across the rest of the lineup position players in bullpen but starting pitchers we have not had a major injury I think I was trying to count it up with you guys on Saturday and what was it Lance Lynn went for a strained lat in mid to late April. That was the only time, and he only missed one start. Kopech filled in beautifully. And then Dylan Cease went on for the COVID IL, and he didn't even miss his start. So he came back within like three days. And that was it. That's it for starting pitchers. Go ahead. I'll open up to you guys. Anything on starting pitching from the first half? That's pretty fucking phenomenal, uh, honestly, that our, our starting pitching has stayed healthy as long as it has, and it's done what it's done. I know a lot of people were upset about, you know, Carlos Rodon being, uh, being brought back, but, I mean, you know, when he was brought back, we were talking about him competing for a spot, a fifth rotation spot with like a guy like Ronaldo Lopez, you know, that, I mean, that was being talked about. Ultimately Rodon gets the spot and he should, his name should be brought up in, in, you know, the Cy Young this year. I don't know if it'll happen or not, but it'd be great. It'd be a great story for him, but look, a perfect, almost a damn near a perfect game turns into a no hitter. Uh, Cause that douchebag didn't jump out of the way, Dick. And then, you know, just, I mean, the ultimate consistency out of him. 89 and two-third innings pitched for him this year. He's got a 2.31 ERA. He's uh, striking out 13 per nine. Uh, the dude has been electric, absolutely electric, and it shows you why he was a, what was he, the third pick in a draft back then out of North Carolina State. He's a beast. And finally, after all the injuries, all the bullshit he had to go through, his career is completely turned around and he is helping lead this White Sox team, you know, to the prom. Well, what we hope is the promised land. He's got a 3.6 F4 right now. Carlos Rodon. It's amazing, boys. Amazing. So uh, I just wanted to touch on that because you guys know I'm a Rodon homer. I got his bobblehead right there on the main TV in the Buzz Cave. And I just always love the dude. I got I got a question for the group here. Um, does the Lance Lynn trade make sense to anyone yet? 
Oh, I don't no, know, I'm, man. I'm, you, <laughs> well, Dunning's got a bright future. I don't know, man. No, I, I'm still pissed off about it because potential or depth or something. Yeah. Um, you know, when I think of Lance Lynn, I think of two things. Guts and nuts. That's what this fucking team needed. They needed somebody to go out there, take the ball, and we see it every fifth day. And every fifth day, they pan in on him as he's walking off the mound in the sixth inning, telling somebody to shove it up their fucking ass or telling some little slapdick to sit the fuck down. That's the type of attitude. That's the type of mentality that I love seeing. You know, I think you need a guy like that on every staff. Um, you, you know, it's hard to have five guys like that in your starting rotation there, but you have that one guy out there that's just an absolute motherfucker that wants to take the ball and wants to just ram it down the other team's throat from pitch number one right there. Lance Lynn is that guy. I absolutely love it. Love going out to the ballpark watching that guy. I mean, he's just an absolute beast. He is an absolute South Sider, and I just I, I can't wait to watch this guy in the second half, and I can't wait to watch him ultimately get the ball in the playoffs, go after somebody and get a dub, help push this team towards hopefully an American League pennant in the World Series. You know, I, I like that you bring that up, Steve, because you talk about a guy who can just bring that energy. And you've got you've got Tim Anderson. He's, he's brought some energy to this team. Uh, you, you signed Adam Eaton to try and be kind of that guy as well. Didn't didn't pan out the way we all all thought it would, or maybe it panned out exactly how some thought it would. But very quietly, just like that 05 roster that we always compare every baseball team to, uh, he's like your A.J. Pruszynski on this team. He gets people motivated. He gets under the opponent's skin. He's he's just that that guy, Steve. You, you put it perfectly. I can't even add more to that. But one thing that he's done is he's kind of carried that energy over to some of the rest of the guys in the starting rotation. Like, look at Carlos Rodon right now. Look at the way Michael Kopech acts when he's on the mound. It's a little bit different because that energy is fucking contagious. And that's what Lance Lynn provides. I hope they just re-sign him. Like, now, just lock him up. Because there, if there's somebody who represents the White Sox and what you want this team to be about, it's Lance Lynn. Yeah, I agree 100%, and I believe I chose Lance Lynn uh, for when we did our kind of team awards here. White Sox team Cy Young would be Lance Lynn. Um, obviously, you can't discount what Carlos Rodon has done here, but when you talk about all factors considered, maybe maybe we evaluate that a little bit different than the Baseball Writers Association of America would. Uh, Lance Lynn, integral part of this thing. Uh, 199 ERA. I know that's not the end-all, be-all of pitching stats here, but still contributing 2.5 F4 here uh, for your team. That shows his value. And then obviously it goes beyond that for the mentality side that Steve put together so well there. Um, and just uh, I like his quotes too. when he's talking about it. He, first of all, he feels like he fits here. That's great. I love that, you know, feel like you're a South Sider and you're probably going to play up to those expectations even better. Um, and then second of all, motivating the other guys to do so. Um, you guys talked on that. So uh, that gets through starting pitchers. Let's talk role players now, guys. We had Yerman torrid first month to carry the offense here we had jake lamb like i mentioned that sort of uh mid-may through like early june uh him offering some power billy hamilton infectious personality elite speed and defense some timely hitting uh that baltimore series over memorial day was pretty much the billy hamilton series uh we got brian goodwin our cleanup hitter 
as of late, uh, he's been raking. He's been putting together great games as of uh, late. I cannot believe that he is only at 0.6 F4 uh, at this point in time. Um, as we go further down the list in there, Larry Garcia had a rough start. A lot of calls for the DFA, but he's your Swiss Army knife. He's showing his value now, and he's doing it with some pop. Uh, you see that slugging percentage shoot up uh, throughout the end of June into early July here, um, and he's getting on base uh, more frequently. Adam Engel, finally good to have him back. but now. He's not just defense and speed at a angle. He still brings that, but now he's power hitter at a angle. Guys, role players, how important have they been, and who's your favorite so far? I've been a big Be Good fan, Brian Goodwin, when we signed him um, to a minor league contract. You know, Pittsburgh gave up on him, and it was really funny. I was listening to the radio this morning, and they were like, man, if Pittsburgh gives up on you, what the hell was going on? It was just like, well, that's because Pittsburgh is terrible, and they don't know talent if it bit him in the ass. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I meant it a little bit, but I, I, I love the Garrett Cole. So let's, let's very You know what, Donnie? Thank you. Thank you. Glass now like as well. glass now. Hey, Clint, yeah. What idiots. Anyway, I, I've loved what uh, Brian Goodwin has given us. I, I like Billy Hamilton a lot, but I actually have a really big problem with him because he's ducking me for this slip and slide contest. Start to piss me off a little bit. So I'm getting a little irritated by that, but um, no, I, I loved what Goodwin has brought. Um, I have it. Nani, I, I don't know if you want to get into this with me here. But I feel like I should bring it up because a lot of people, you said role players. How about our guy? Well, Lurie. Yeah. Uh, stepping up with injuries have happened. Yes, very, very rough start to the season. I think we can all attest that here for Lurie Garcia. Very rough start to the season. What he's done since Madrigal has gone down, and even before that, what he was doing, huge. People that are not supposed to be carrying you are carrying you. And it's absolutely amazing to see, and that's why there's magic around the season. If I had to pick a favorite role player, it's would definitely you, Brian Goodwin. Would you think that Larry Garcia and Jose Abreu have the same F4 right now? Ooh. That is amazing, though. It's Ooh. absolutely amazing. We don't need a trade for a the 2B. Lurie, the Lurie haters will be on you for this one. Go and look it up. <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, the stats are available to everyone. Not he doesn't have some super secret fucking, you know, computer that tells him what everything is. You can find it at Fangraphs Baseball Reference. Go check it out. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, Lurie's been absolutely fantastic. But a guy that I just don't want to not have on this team, and when tough decisions do start coming up, it's Brian Goodwin. I don't know how you guys feel. I'd like it for him to be an outfield option. You know, he could play all the spots in the outfield, and I, I'd like him to stick around. I, he's been my favorite guy this year so far. Love be good. Party, 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 everybody get drunk. That that tweet just – that should be, like, on a shirt somewhere. And, you know, I, I've kind of talked to Johnny about Goodwin a little bit. I, I, he reminds me of Carl Everett on the 05 team. Does not, he believe in dinosaurs? That's the only thing. We don't know if, if Goodwin believes in dinosaurs <laughs> or not. We need to find this out. But we do need to find this out, and then we can call him Carl Everett. Like, but if you think about it, here's this power hitter outfield guy who just gets the job done, but – He's really nobody's favorite player unless you're really, really tuned in. And Johnny, isn't he becoming one of your favorite players? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, just look at the as of late. You know, it's kind of a what have you done for me lately league. I think that's no secret. Um, and what he's done for us lately is nothing but uh, multi-hit games, big RBI spots. And you love guys that are opportunistic. Yes. He, he's he's very opportunistic. And if we're, if we're going over role players, too, I mean, uh, Steve brought it up early. Jay Clam. Uh, is this an appropriate time for me to talk about Gavin Sheets? You know, can you can you throw Andrew Vaughn we, almost we, into we've, a role we've, player? We've got a young gun section, so save it. For we those. do have a young gun section. Okay, well, we'll talk about them later. But some of the young guys too have stepped in and and, and taken over role player type 
type roles on the team and, and gotten the job done. So there's been so much depth that you've found. Uh, I was texting with my cousin earlier today and he, he, he sent me a message asking, you know, wait, what are your thoughts on- did you just say, did you just, did you just say the word depth when referring to the White Sox? Tony? I did. I did use the is word. A, I've been told they don't have any. That allowed? I think that's that. Can we get a roll? We're at a point right now, Steve, where you do have so much depth. You look at this outfield and you you add Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez back into it, and you do have tough decisions to make. Why? Depth is your answer. That's great points. Um, as far as my pick for role player so far, I got to go with uh, my guy B Ham. I mean, because I was in attendance for both of his home runs. So I, I have no choice because I like to think that I inspired him. I brought out that power in him. I was there. He said, you know what? NWI Steve, he's alive. He's living. There are signs. There's proof of life. I need to hit dingers for him. And he did. He's so ducking my- me, bro. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Buzz. I look, look, I'll, I'll, I'll see, you know, maybe if I can have, you know, some of my people get in contact with him here, see if we can make this happen. Yeah. His people talk to your people. And yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll get I, set up. Yeah, All right. I, I so does that in fact make me one of your people or am I just a person? <laughs> is what I'm trying oh, to figure oh, out. Oh, yeah. You know, it's kind of like kind of like those mob movies. You know, friend of, friend of mine, friend of ours, kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I dig it. Absolutely. Friend dig of it. ours. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, let's go next section, Tony. Like you want to talk, and I'll hand it right over to you. Uh, is the young guns, and obviously Andrew Vaughn uh, been here since the beginning. Most recently, Gavin Sheets, uh, Jake Berger called up. Even before that, I'm going to loop Nick Madrigal into this because let's not discount what he did before he went down with his injury. Um, he was around until about early June. I believe it was June 5th, June 6th was when he went down. And this guy at the time when he went down, 305, 349. 425 slash line, a couple home runs too in the oven there, and then uh, 1.4 F4 before the injury, RIP, IP, Nick Madrigal. But let's talk about some of the other guys that have been getting it done, the youths. Tony, I know who you want to talk about first, so go right ahead. I'm actually going to save him for a little bit later, and it's not very often I get goosebumps when we're thinking of it and talking about this White Sox team, but the fact that we can sit here and you brought up a bunch of names and, you know, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Yohan Moncada, so the, the young guns – is a, is a whole second class that we have right here because most of this team is young. Most of this team doesn't have the major league experience outside of a few years. And, and this team was, was really built very interestingly, but you look at, at this class, I guess, when you consider, you know, Andrew Vaughn and, and Gavin Sheets, Berger, some of these guys, Nick Madrigal, who, who basically just came up to the show and all of them have somewhat just, worked out Johnny and one thing that you've always talked about is guys who come up and just rake Andrew Vaughn right off right off the bat this dude I had so many problems with him even making the major league roster just because it didn't make sense to me that we were going to throw him into left field and expect to get production out of a guy who is changing positions basically at the major league level not even with an established minor league career. And look what he's done. He's come up clutch just even this past weekend. uh, You know, he's out there carrying the team. He's got star written all over him. Gavin Sheets comes up, immediately just starts raking from the left side of the plate, something that the White Sox have been searching for seemingly forever. Uh, He comes up and he starts Phil Rowe. Well, last, I don't know, but he's put up enough production to, again, carry the team through some through some spots where you'd want a star doing that. 
uh, you go down to Nick Madrigal and, and the first half of his season, or I don't know, it's just short, short of a half. The first half of the year, when you had Nick Madrigal in the lineup, he was starting to get so hot where you're talking, man, this guy is the absolute real deal. You have this all over the field. I don't feel like I've ever been this positive on a socks on tap show, but like, let's realize how special that is for multiple guys just coming into the big leagues to be that successful. That's not normal. That's absolutely not normal. No, you're right. It's not. I think that I'm most impressed with Andrew Vaughn. And the reason being is because, yeah, he was struggling a little bit. I mean, you saw it within his average, right? You saw it within his OBP. But the guy, remember how like last year in 2020, we always talked about how the Sox kill left-handed pitching. And it's like, what are we, like 18 and 8 or some shit like that against them this year or whatever the case may be. We're still very good against left-handed pitching. But as a guy like Andrew Vaughn who was struggling a bit, you know, finding his – Getting his feet under him, I guess. Look, these are the numbers that he's had against left-handed pitching this year. Okay, he's had 89 plate appearances against him. He's hitting 303, uh, 40 slashing 303, 404, uh, and 632. He's got a. I mean, he's just been absolutely fantastic. Um, 166 OPS plus there. He's got five home runs and 10 RBIs against him. I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty good numbers for Andrew Vaughn. Absolutely. And again, keep in mind, this guy didn't play against. Double A, which is where usually is the hardest to play, and he, he hasn't played above high single A. I think he's been the most impressive guy. Madrigal did, was up last year in, tw- in the 2020 season for a, a hot minute. You know, um, got hurt a little bit. You know, I mean, he still doesn't even have a full season of MLB play under his belt yet. I mean, we got to keep that in mind too, right, boys? I mean, he, he really doesn't have that. Does Luis Robert have that? I don't think Luis Robert has that. So, I mean, there's a million different scenarios that play in here, but I'm most intrigued by Andrew Vaughn, and I'm most pleased with him. I I think that he's just been absolutely fantastic. Those other guys I just mentioned, they got to go through the, you know, they got to go through the minors, you know, go through the ranks. Andrew Vaughn did not. You know, you bring up some great points about Andrew Vaughn, uh, their buzz, and and Tony, and I think, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I think there was some article on on a website uh, called ONTAP Sportsnet Today kind of talking about Andrew Vaughn and some of the progression he's made recently. You know, I feel like anybody watching this or listening to this may want to go check it out because I feel like there's some decent data in there kind of talking about uh, Andrew Vaughn and his growth and development here at the big league level. I think you guys are missing one important guy, though, and – I'm going to steer away from the positional side of it here. Michael Kopech. Ooh, I thought you were going to go with Zach Collins. (laughs) No, 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 no. So I'm someone, I had a lot of reservations about Michael Kopech coming into this season, just simply because of the fact that we're talking about a guy that when spring training rolled around in February, it had been two and a half years since he last threw a competitive pitch. When I, I was at that game, in late August of 2018 when his elbow exploded against Detroit. And, you know, everything that's gone on with him since then from the personal side of it, um, you know, taking the year off from, you know, the the COVID situation and everything, it just – it was a lot to to take in. And for a guy to be away from the game for that long, there were serious question marks about was he going to come back as the same guy because pitching is very much a feel thing and to be away from the mound for that extended of a period of time i think it was only fair to question is he going to be the same guy is he going to be the impactful guy that we all thought he was going to be when the Sox acquired him from boston in in the chris sale deal and he has answered every single question 
right from the get-go here this season. And he has been one of the most integral parts of this pitching staff. And he's been one of the most integral parts of a bullpen that, if we have to be completely honest here, has been extremely mediocre at best here in the first half of this 2021 season, something that I know I certainly was not anticipating, but he has been one of the stalwarts and one of the guys that you could really count on. And he's been versatile enough in some of these doubleheader scenarios to be able to fill in in these spot starts in these seven inning games and just be able to help save the pitching staff and save the, the rotation and give Tony LaRusso the flexibility there to be able to mix and match in those shortened game situations there. And it's going to be fascinating to see how he is deployed in the second half. There was obviously going to be an innings limitation with him, but missing that 30 days with, with the hamstring injuries, may actually come back to be a blessing in disguise. I hate to say that because, you know, you don't want to see the guy get hurt. But now, you know, it's going to be like go full bore here in the second half and let's just unleash this animal. You can backload him. That's that's the luxury that affords you. Um, like you said, don't let like you guys get injured, but with the timing of it, we'll allow for more high leverage spots. There. I'm, Steve, I'm you transitioned us into – I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have one more I was just going to say, Steve, you- yeah, he, he transitioned us. I was just about to talk about the bullpen underperforming, but a few bright spots, and then you know we can talk about, obviously, this is going to be an area of need here. But go ahead, Buzz, uh, before we get full into it. I, I don't know how we didn't talk about that before. Because remember in the beginning of the season when we all there was speculation he was on innings limit or just control, and like they wanted him to be ready for the uh, ready for the postseason. I don't think any of us even ever brought that up. I don't think we ever bat an eye to it. I don't know if we we're so scarred from all the injuries that have just happened all year. Our brains wouldn't compute actually what's happening. But that was a perfect point you brought up, Steve. I never even thought of that. That I mean, and like you said, Nani just backloaded, just start dominating. You know, mm-hmm. just nonstop dominate now because if there was an innings limit. He missed a month of play, boys. I mean, that's that's absolutely massive. So I'm sorry, yeah. Rob, that was just yeah. one thing. I, I just can't believe you we never s- talked about it. Just sprinkle those in throughout July, August, September, October. Yes, I love that. So we, we will get right into the bullpen. One one thing I did have since I handed off to you guys first was Andrew Vaughn starting to hit righties uh, better as of late. Uh, you know, just in these last few weeks before the All Star break came up, uh, I think that is huge because you are seeing why uh, he was touted as the best bat in his draft class. Um, and, you know, if he gets hot and you're adding a power like Eloy Jimenez in the lineup at the end of the month, man, you, you're having some mashers, especially uh, when guys like Yasmani Grandal are out of the lineup right now, when Jose Abreu's not hitting for the same power that you're accustomed to, and Yohan Moncada is not hitting for very much power. Uh, seeing outside of the ballpark, that means. Um, so, yeah, Andrew Vaughn's starting to hit righties, I think, and you just saw his last game before the All-Star break, two home run performance. Uh, that, that's going to get him feeling good going into the second half. Let's talk this bullpen, though, Steve. You let it off perfectly with that. I had said, you know, Kopech dominant when healthy, 1.2 F4 here. Uh, de facto six starter. We saw him do it in the seven-inning game at Boston uh, whenever they needed another one uh, with the kind of schedule crunch uh, with the rainouts early on. He was able to take that and, and look great. Um, and like you said, month off, uh, Billy to load up more innings down the stretch here. Another guy let's talk about, um, since I think we hit Michael Kopech, and if any of you guys have any, uh, talking about the bullpen later on Kopech, we can go back and do that. But let's talk Garrett Crochet, too, um, because, man, that's nasty. And especially when you're talking injuries, other guys stepping up, uh, Aaron Bummer, your big lefty arm out of the bullpen. Jace Fry was injured. I know he's not as high leverage, but he was still injured. That's another lefty arm out. 
beginning of the year, uh, Garrett Crochet able to come in. We saw it in the Twins game coming up uh, in that seventh inning uh, in the was it the Tuesday night, the rain game. Yeah. Uh, and that would probably have been Aaron Bummer spot with those two, uh, you know, uh, the lefties coming up uh, to pitch against there. So good on Crochet there. Just got a disgusting slider. And then uh, Liam Hendricks. Um, yes, sure. Uh, there's a little bit of shake to start as of late. People getting a little bit antsy about not feeling as comfortable, but he was the reliever of the month for May, did not allow a home run in May. And if he gets that uh, sort of on track, um, that's what you need. And you need that presence. Uh, You need his fiery attitude uh, because we talk about how Lance Lynn is infectious to the rest of the starting rotation. Guess what? Liam Hendricks can be that for the rest of the bullpen there. So that's kind of status of the bullpen. And obviously this is going to be an area of need, Uh, but go ahead. Any bullpen topics, names that you guys want to throw out there, this is the time to do it. First one, Garrett Crochet. And Steve, this is something you and I text about back and forth every time he throws. And one thing with Garrett Crochet that I've noticed is you don't have that 100-mile-an-hour-plus fastball anymore. And it's been somewhat concerning to me up until maybe the last appearance of Garrett Crochet where he was touching 97, 98. There has been a significant drop in his velocity since what you saw last year. And what am I at least – conspiracy theories or theories on this whole entire thing is that he's potentially been told to dial it back to get himself through a full season, which I I have my own internal argument with myself. And I'll, I'll ask you guys all this question. This kid was a starter. He should, he was already somewhat stretched out when he came to this team last year. I know he had some injury history, but then you get into the, the last playoff appearance last year where Garrett Crochet leaves with an injury and all of a sudden shows back up. There was no surgery. There was nothing there where there was ever a you know press release that came out that said this has been dealt with outside of just rest over the offseason. So my first inclination was that Garrett Crochet was still injured to start this season. You've seen him start to ramp it up just a little bit, but Garrett Crochet looked so much scarier in 2020 than he did to start this year in 2021. And that was absolutely concerning to me because, A, number one, if he was going to be a starter or, you know, just wasn't valued as a bullpen piece for this season because he had an injury last year, why not bring him back down to the minors, give him that rest, let him go through his period, if there's surgery necessary, get that done, dealt with, and get him back on track to be a starter. But he's been used in some decently high leverage roles but he hasn't looked the same as he did last year in those roles. Velocity is a thing. And just the fear factor that came with Garrett Crochet in 2020 has not been there all the time in 2021. Like I expected it to be, I don't know how you guys feel about it. A lot of speculation. He's hurt. That was a lot of speculation in the beginning, but I like your, I like your idea a lot more. I don't think they'd throw him if he was hurt. I, I mean, with how this season is gone, you think they just shut him down, right? I mean, maybe he was told to dial it back or something like that. I mean, what, what was it like out of his first, like, I, I'm, I'm just quoting the number. I don't have it on the top of my head or, or here pulled up in front of me, but it wasn't like 45 out of 65 pitches he threw last year or something like that. We're over a hundred miles an hour. And we don't see that out of him anymore. Um, he's been good though. I mean, you know, he's, I mean, 2.63 ERA and 27 and a third innings pitch. That's what I'm, I think I'm most surprised of. I know he was, he, he was a little tweaked up there for a little bit, but we have not seen a lot of Garrett Crochet this year. 27 and a third is not a, a crazy amount uh, of, of innings. Um, you know, I mean, shit, we were just talking about, I know Kopech got a start this year and everything like that. That Nani brought up in the beginning of the episode when Lance Lynn had his little issue, but I mean, Kopech's got 36 innings, you know, 
uh, under his belt. I, I think it's 36 innings, somewhere in there. But I, I don't know. I, to your point, I don't know if it, they, they told him to dial back or anything like that, but it is kind of still odd, you know, that uh, he's not throwing like he was. That definitely was one thing that early on in the season I, I noticed. And, you know, Tony, you mentioned, you know, some of the conversations that you and I have back and forth about that, kind of wondering, was this a concerted effort by the organization to dial things back here to get through the full 162-game season and kind of leave a little bit in the tank for late September and into October? Because this team obviously has aspirations of being playing games deep into the month of October here. So, you know, the one thing that has concerned me, I would say even more so than the velocity dip from crochet has been the walk total has been pretty high this year. And that is something that has come back to bite him in a number of circumstances. And there have been certain instances where, um, He's had his issues even getting left-handed hitters out. We saw that down in that disastrous weekend in Houston. Uh, Jordan Alvarez got him. He gave up another, um, you know, base hit. I, I think it was maybe to uh, Kyle Tucker to, you know, kind of get that get that inning going there a little bit. That uh, I think it was that Thursday or maybe it was the Friday night game uh, down there. So there have been a couple of hiccups there. And the one thing I'm really paying close attention to, because we saw this very early on in the season, and we haven't seen it as much lately is in the playoffs, especially, or in late September, if, if Cleveland does decide to make this race close again, and they have that pivotal five game series at the end of the month, will teams bunt on Garrett crochet and force him to field his position and throw the baseball? Because we've seen, Early on in this season, that is a disaster when he has been asked to do it. Yeah, all, all legit concerns. That's why I wanted you guys to air it out here. But I will say, we talk about the next man up, and it's been obviously more needed throughout the lineup uh, because more of the injuries have come from that spot. But talking next man up, let's be frank with ourselves. And Maybe it's not any fault of his own with the injuries, but between that and the unreliability early in the season, Aaron Bummer has not been the guy, lefty arm, out of the bullpen that you can count on so far. Sorry, he has not. So, like I said, not not all his fault. Sometimes you can't control when you get John, injured. John, but, I want to I ask so something, too. Using, you have a lefty arm who has you know that wipeout potential to come in, uh, and th- that is what I think um, it may lead to some of these struggles being used uh, in some of those higher level situations, maybe more so than you'd like them to. Um, but I just w- wanted to make that kind of counterpoint, too, to all the criticisms that you guys had. How much has the three-batter minimum rule hurt Aaron Bummer and guys like Jace Fry? Because I, I don't think we've, we've really dug into that, and nobody's been writing articles about – what those those left-handed specialist relievers have done since that rule change, Tony? So I can I can answer that actually because that's something that I that I wrote about actually about it about a year ago. Um, Bummer historically has been a guy that with his cutter has actually fared very well against right-handed pitchers uh, or, or excuse me against right-handed hitters here. So he doesn't have the drastic uh, handedness splits that Jace Fry does. Jace Fry is a guy that. You know, when the three better minimum rule was put in place, I was legitimately concerned about him because he has historically gotten bombed against right-handed hitters. Um, we obviously haven't seen enough of him here in 2021 to see what kind of adjustments, if anything, he has made under the tutelage of Ethan Katz. Um, but Bummer historically has been a guy that has been able to handle guys regardless of handedness, and it's just a lot of things have snowballed on Aaron Bummer this year, you know, for whatever the reason. 
there'll go, there'll be a defensive error behind him or he'll give up a, a little bloop infield hit. And then for whatever the reason, he just can't pitch over it this year the way he did in 2019 and 2020 when he was on the mound. Um, I think that it's been obviously very frustrating because I'm probably the leader of the Aaron Bauer fan club. So I got to kind of wear that one a little bit. Yeah. And it sucks. A part of it's injuries too. I mean, you, you can't get yourself in a rhythm if you're not able to pitch and throw in, you know, you're spending your time rehabbing instead of working on your situational stuff like that. Um, so like I said, not all his fault because sometimes freak shit happens, but the end of the day, when you're talking about the White Sox and their propensity to close out games, um, Aaron Bummer, who we expected to be an eighth inning guy, a setup guy, uh, has not been reliable in that role. You cannot count on him being there in that eighth inning spot so far. So that's an area of concern here uh, with that. You know, um, this guy's for me has to be the number one need now. I know before we talked a little bit about, oh, early in the month of June, it was kind of, oh, Adam Frazier, as soon as Madrigal went down, that was kind of the hot, you know, the flavor of the week, so to say. Then we're thinking, oh, we don't have the capital and the price asking price may be too high. Is he really that good? Eduardo Escobar, oh, could he offer some pop? And then it's like, well, Larry's offering some pop now. Um, and you're seeing it, you know, production from guys like Brian Goodwin and all of that. So I would put right-handed reliever uh, number one here on this priority list. I don't know about you guys. We're talking needs with the White Sox coming up at the trade deadline. 100%, Johnny. There is no more glaring issue with this team right now than the bridge from the starting rotation to Liam Hendricks at the back end, assuming Michael Kopech is not available. Um, even in, you know another guy we haven't talked about this year, Cody Hoyer has not been the same guy this year. Um, the the propensity for him to give up the long ball has been very problematic this season. So I think this team absolutely needs to go out there and they need to address the bullpen. They need to get one. And I would honestly make the case even that you need two right-handed relievers to be able to go out there and feel confident that you can build that bridge from the starting rotation to Liam Hendricks on the back end. I concur. No, that, that's just where where it stands need wise, and I uh, think with the production you've gotten, some of these guys as of late, they're not going to be too hasty to get, to go and get a bat here. Especially when you're looking at Eloy Jimenez timeline uh, coming back here. When you're looking at Larry Garcia's recent production, um, guys that are able to fill in there. So yeah, um, bridge to uh, the end of a game is definitely number one need for our White Sox here going into the trade deadline. Obviously, no moves have been made. Uh, as of late. So we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, guys, battling through injuries here. Um, Eloy, Angle, Fry, Robert, Kopech, Madrigal, Hamilton multiple times, Lamb, Grandal, Mancata banged up, Abreu banged up, Bummer. Sure, that doesn't even cover all of it. It's absolutely ridiculous that they've been able to come in and produce at the level that they have. And that kind of bleeds into a next point here. Uh, these guys got to be used. They got to be given a chance. Uh, who's writing out the lineup cards every day. Tony LaRussa, um, I don't think if the season were to end today, you can give manager of the year in the AL to anyone other than Tony LaRussa. That's if it were to end today. You well, can't. You, you can't. Yeah, you, you just can't. I mean, and I know a lot of people are going to hate to hear that, but I mean, sir, listen, the White Sox, again, we, we talked about the record against 500 teams, and what, but again, what they're doing against the teams that they should beat, what they're doing on the road, shows a team that's well-prepared. And obviously – performing very well because they have the best record in the American league. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on, Nani, when you two were talking about Adam Frazier there, um, obviously, you know, it's not perfection here. My lights got shut off. My kids got a fever. It's been a crazy day here. So, but I wanted Adam Frazier and you and I talked about it, Johnny on a show. 
you know, we went extensive about it. I think this was during the, what was that? There was like the five game losing streak that we had in like the mid June. It was a June 11th through like June 18th or some shit. Yeah. I don't remember, but there's a bit, we had an episode where we talked to, to a big sense about that. And then it's, it came out what Pittsburgh was kind of expecting to get back. And listen, Frazier doesn't really hit for power. Obviously, we all know that he does get on base. He's having a great year. He's never really done this before, but he's having a great year. So more momentum sometimes means more winning, right? I mean, it's obviously something that could definitely happen, but I'm kind of glad we didn't pull the trigger on that. Um, I I like where we're at right now, and I do agree with what you said Saturday night. You, Steve, uh, you guys said that a bullpen arm is more needed, and I'd rather, if I have to give any sort of capital up to get a, a trade piece for this year, I'll I'd rather get the bullpen arm because as much as people are going to hate to hear this, <laughs> Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert are better than trades. So um, yeah, I'm cool with taking that. Doesn't, and then, doesn't cost you. Doesn't cost you. So. Right. Exactly. Better than making trades because you're getting these guys back who are absolute fucking beasts. Um, now into the La Russa talk. I am going to totally crow a million times over real quick. Not that I hated, and I've said this a million times in the show, not that I hated the hire from the beginning because of who he is or whatever. People think he represents everybody's entitled to their opinion. That's fine. You can have your opinion on anything. I don't pay your bills. I cannot tell you what the fuck to think. So you do whatever you got to do. That's cool. I didn't like it because I felt like it was a premeditated type deal, right? Like I, I just thought like, you know, Jerry was like, well, I'm 85 years old, 86 years old. This is my buddy. And you know what? Fuck you. I'm a billionaire. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I'm going to bring my buddy back. And Jerry Reinsdorf has been on the record a million times saying that the biggest mistake he's made in his, in, in, I don't want to say he said his entire life, but in his sports owning life, it was something along those lines of being a franchise owner was not breaking up the dynasty Chicago Bulls. It was letting Tony LaRusso go. I mean, that's guys. He Michael Jordan is the greatest player to ever play the game. He regrets more of letting Tony go than breaking up the Bulls. It's fucking huge. If you're a Chicago sports fan. Now, I was mad because there were some names out there that I liked. And again, I felt it was premeditated. And he did piss me off with the Ehrman Mercedes stuff because much on like the North side right now with what's going on with players going to the media and starting a bunch of shit, I felt like that was going to happen with the White Sox because I didn't, I think I bought into a little bit of the hype. I'm a human. I could buy into that shit. And, and I did. Boy, how wrong was I? How wrong was I? Because I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. Tony La Russa seems to have a great relationship up and down. I mean, I'm sure like you never get along with your boss all the time. You know, I'm sure all of us here have dealt with that at one point or another in the past, but like, and you guys remember the city edition jerseys when we were wearing, you know, like, and he's just there with a cocked hat for closers and cool managers, I guess, but he's just sitting there having a fun time with, the players. And I mean, that was even a loss to that game was a fucking loss, but I mean, and just like how he speaks so highly of guys like Tim Anderson, who people said that would be the biggest problem with. And then Tim Anderson, you know, went to the media a couple times and said, Oh, well, you know, it doesn't mean we're going to listen. We're bad kids who don't listen. And he laughs it off. That means you have the relationship there to be able to joke like that within the meet, not only within the media, but behind closed doors as well. You know, we don't have all the insights of what's going on in there because guess what? All four of us aren't in there and neither are all the people that think he's a piece of shit manager on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you choose to live on social media. I I'm very happy with how Tony LaRusse has been this year. Uh, I don't get me wrong. I think he's fallen asleep a couple times on that motherfucking bench. I'm, I'm like 90% sure that's happened, but dude, I, I'm over the moon about it. I think it's, he's been great. And if obviously the second half boys, we know anything can change anything, but if it continues to go down, you know, go down this way and we're, and we're doing what we're doing, 
there is no way he does not come home with that award. That's my spiel. I'm sorry did, I went, did, went long there. Given the injuries, I, th- I think that is what propels him ahead of the other ones and what he's had to work with. Uh, th- that's why I wanted to bring that up. And then also, you know, you talk about the fun, you know, kind of the fun stuff with him. Uh, the, the Gavin Sheets comment the other night when he hit a uh, home run in front of family and friends in Baltimore. I thought that was hilarious. And that shows, you know, you saw the first reply to the video from NBC Sports Chicago was, oh, I need him to make a bad decision in game tomorrow because I'm actually starting to like him. That's hilarious. I mean, it just isn't. Do, do you have like, I want to ask, like, this is a personal question, obviously, for all of you. Like, do you have that thing like where if you have an opinion and like your opinion's so strong, right? But this is a very trivial matter. It's not like life or death or anything. It's a trivial matter. Like you have an opinion and then you started getting disproven and you're wrong on that opinion. Do you like, do you defend that opinion till you're blue in the face and dead? Or do you adapt or, or understand that maybe it wasn't what you thought and begin well, to accept it? Well, let's say I would be having to hope for bad Carlos Rodon starts if I were to hang on to that sort of And you'd be a uh, complete dick buzz. if you did that, right? Yeah, exactly. Adapting's right. fine. Adapting's fine. And education is fine. I think that that's the question that you're you're asking here because I, I, I've been up and down on Lucas Giolito his entire career. And we can – I mean, you guys have seen the text messages. You know how I feel about him right now. I've said stuff about him on this show, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to root for the guy. My problem with everybody who came out there and, you know, I've got the receipts. I still have them. Buzz, I still have the receipts from you saying you are 100% out on him and there's nothing that can that can be done that can, that can change your opinion on this yeah, just no, because he wrong. fucked up and, and didn't know a rule or whatever. But I, I have all those. Annoying. It's still annoying. I have all those because that's what you do online these days is, is you, you wait that's, and you save the receipts for the opinions. Gag off. <laughs> oh, dude, I've, I've got you locked and loaded. I've got you locked and loaded. No, I'm just, great. No, it, great. The, the thing with, with baseball or just anything in life or sports in general, your opinion can change over time. I think that that's normal. It's okay to sit there and say, like, I don't like this guy. The problem, the problem with Tony LaRusse's hire that – that got people up in arms was, was the DUI. It was the fact that, you know, the White Sox marketing department sent out the wrong graphic. There was a lot of things that the White Sox don't do well. And, and a lot of that is all business aspects. It has nothing to do with whether or not Rick Hahn or Jerry Reinsdorf or whoever wanted Tony La Russa. It's that the, the White Sox don't do things well. They fuck some shit up. Let's be real. Like Johnny, we're trying to get into the parking lot for an hour and a oh, half. Yeah. No. The White Sox just don't do some things well in every organization. Well, that was Tony's fault somehow. Yeah, that know. was Tony's fault somehow. Every organization has problems <laughs> with certain things. And it, it could be as simple as, you know, parking lot attendants not knowing how to park cars to the graphics guy screwing something up. It, it, you don't know the end-all, be-all of what every situation is. The fact of the matter is that the White Sox hired a manager who knows how to win. Regardless of of how all of that went down, we are here now in July with the best record in the American League. People are going to want to discredit Tony La Russa because, hey, the roster looks good. Yeah, I'm sure that there are 40 other people who could run this White Sox team and still have them in a playoff spot at the end of the day. Uh, That's not a question here. The fact of the matter is, is that Tony La Russa has succeeded in this role. He's done it well. And that there was so many people that wanted him gone before the, the whole season even started and even into the season. Yerman, the Yerman Mercedes incident was, was the climax of everybody sitting there saying, 
well, Tony La Russa didn't want to handle Yerman Mercedes the right way. Let's get real for a second. If Yerman Mercedes whole entire career and his ability to hit a baseball is based off of Tony La Russa saying it was disrespectful for him to hit a lobbed pitch on a three Oh count. Yerman Mercedes had issues that he needed to work out to begin with because major league baseball players have to have thick skin. You're dealing with social media. You're dealing with, with fans yelling at you in the middle of the game. You're dealing with so much adversity as it is. You've got to find a way to overcome that. If you're going to be long for this game, like you said, buzz, not everybody's going to get along with their boss. There's going to be conflict. This is not the first time a manager and a player have disagreed on something. And if you go back to white Sox Twitter, you would act, you, you would, you would think that the world was fucking ending right then and there, because there was a disagreement between uh, an employer and an employee. And that's, that's totally not the case. It's, it's perfectly healthy to have discussion about the future of baseball, where baseball is going, how, how people should act inside the game, generational differences aside, it's healthy because that, that, that drives the game and it drives conversation. What did I tell you when we were heading out of my subdivision on the way to the baseball game? We were talking about whether or not Josh Donaldson should get plunked. Why did we pay $70 to watch people beat the shit out of each other in a UFC fight? We love confrontation. That's, that's sport. There's a reason that the gladiators fought to the death because people like watching that shit. Confrontation increases views it increases attention towards something i'd rather have a team that has so much attention around it because there's so much going on and yet they're still able to succeed this has been a wonderful year for the white Sox. i love it i love every fucking second of it and i cannot wait till tony la russa is smoking cigars with jerry reinsdorf on jackson and everybody else is down there having a good time and we're all drunk together World Series champions. I fucking love it. Just write, the, write, this, write the storybook it. right now. Yeah, the way that you spun it was really good. It was really good. I still hate the going to the media thing. I'll, I think I'll, I'll forever hate that. But you have to understand, you don't give a fuck about basketball. You don't give a, you know, like you care about the White Sox, your favorite team. I got to deal with it on two angles here of shit like that always happening. And it comes very tiring to hear that you're a poverty franchise and you suck. Because, I mean, hey, man. It's just the truth. You hate to hear. I, I don't like dysfunction. I like tough shit. But I, I love the way that you fucking spun. It was amazing. Steve smiled the whole time. You look good today, Steve. Oh, look at you. You're such a sweetheart. Steve always right. looks good. Well, all right. So this is obviously, I think, a very complex topic, um, despite what people want it to be. And what's, you know, one of the things I always say in when we're having our text conversations or when we get together as a group, Context matters. The context behind Tony La Russa and the decisions and, and some of the things that have taken place with this team matters. Okay, There have been a number of things that have taken place from a tactical standpoint that I have disagreed with. Obviously, some of the usage of, of the bullpen and leaving guys like Matt Foster you know, out to dry out in Seattle. And there have been some other times of leaving Lucas Giolito in too long and that start against Detroit. So there have been tactical issues. Look, every manager is going to make tactical issues. A.J. Hinch, you know, that was the guy that I wanted. I'm sure he's made plenty of tactical issues in Detroit with a lesser roster. I'm sure he made many issues and, and bad decisions when he was managing the Houston Astros. That's something that's going to happen. There were obviously a number of times where I was critical of 
I think his haphazard use of the number two spot in the lineup. Um, I, I've always been a believer in utilizing guys at the top of, of your order in the number two spot that are your best hitters. And I think he, in a number of cases, especially early on with Adam Eaton especially, had that mentality of, okay, it's the 1980s. I need a fast, slap, slappy guy in that spot there as opposed to having a guy that is going to get on base and be able to drive the ball and keep the line moving. Now, we have seen some adaptation from him in a number of key areas here. You know, he is starting to utilize that number two spot more efficiently. With Yohan Makata, we even saw him trying Yasmani Grandal and trying some different pieces in that particular spot there. He's also now starting to utilize Liam Hendricks differently than he was early on in the season. It's something I was very critical of. I thought that one of the main reasons why Liam Hendricks was your main free agent signing this winter was because you have a flexible guy in the bullpen that can be plugged in a number of different spots, not just in the ninth inning to get saves when you have a lead. We're starting to see him evolve a little bit with that. So I have to give him credit for that. And one of the other things that I believe is being discounted heavily and Look, I, I, again, I'll say this, and I think, Buzz, I think you and I talked about this uh, when we were doing a post game a couple weeks ago. I'm obviously a little more of an analytical bend to me at this point here. Um, having played, you know, through college and things, I, I still have that aspect of it too. The feel aspect of it is something that gets discounted too much in the game today. And I think what we've seen with Tony LaRusso plugging guys in like Brian Goodwin, like Jay Clam in that number two spot, or I remember being at that game against the Toronto Blue Jays in, in the eighth inning when the Sox, you know, had made it up to a four to two lead and he put in Adam Eaton to pinch it. And I said, what the fuck is he doing here? Putting Eaton in this spot. And then Eaton goes through, gets an RBI single. So it was like seemingly every time I would be upset about a decision he would make in that spot, it would work. So, he does, I believe, have a good feel for what is going on in that clubhouse there and understanding how guys are feeling on a day-to-day -day basis. And he's done a tremendous job, and I will say that we're a tremendous job of utilizing these role players, putting them in roles and in positions to be successful. And that is part of the reason why these guys have come in and made the impact that they have while they've had these significant injuries to star players. And that can't be discounted no matter how much people want to. Yes, Steve, very well put there on both the field and the tactical side. I'm going to talk tactical really quick. Very few, very specific examples that I really like. Minnesota series, and it shows adaptation. Tony's willingness to adapt. Everyone said that he wouldn't be able to do it. First of all, after that series, we saw Adam Eaton gone. I heard via Twitter.com that Eaton was Tony's boy, and there's no way he was ever getting off this team. Okay, he's gone. All right, there's one. Two, the usage of Crochet and then going to Liam Hendricks for the six-out save in Minnesota. Everyone wanted to do that and go to Hendricks earlier earlier on in the season, and I could see with the leverage spots what they were talking about. But does it matter in April versus fucking Texas? Or is it going to be more important to do that in that five-game series in Cleveland when we're trying to close out the year? That's where I think he's managing it at a level that, you know, it's easy to go and look at it and play this game in Excel, Excel spreadsheet. I think we could all do that all day if we wanted to and calculate it out and give yourself the best opportunity to win. I get that. But you're dealing with human beings here. And there is a factor. He's been around a long damn time. Uh, and he's one of the first to, you know, really utilize uh, the bullpen the way that it is modern, obviously even shifted more so today. But you, you talk about adaptability um, and using 
uh, guys in the right spots. And, uh, you know, he fa- then that allowed Hendricks to face the uh, middle of that Twins order, and it was no problem. He struck out the side uh, of those guys uh, and got through the ninth inning with the capped off by the great catch by Billy Hamilton uh, sliding through the mud, only rivaling buses slide through the mud in Lot B. So um, th- that's that's where I'm at. It, Tony is adapting, and I like seeing the stuff, uh, personal engagements with, you know, the, the, the joke about Gavin Sheets being disrespectful for saying that he, uh, how could I hit him eighth? And it was all joke. It's all joke. You know, uh, good stuff there for Tony Lewis. I think, yeah, I think we're in agreement here, the uh, ale manager. We'll see how that uh, happens down the stretch. But this is just a season we're done today. I think you would be talking about TLR for M-O-Y. All right, let's go uh, and talk favorite moments from the first half. We're getting close to wrapping this thing up, boys. Favorite moments on field, uh, just in person at the game, ballpark experience. Uh, I think, you know, we've got a highlight from Buzz. That can be one of our favorites uh, included within this, but I'll start. I was at the Carlos Rodon no-hitter, and even though it did not turn out to be the perfect game, uh, it was still really cool. It was cold as balls that night, but I was all bundled up in the 500 level. Got to take it with my dad. That was really Really cool. The home opener, same deal. Uh, pretty cold, rainy, windy. Lance Lynn, guts and nuts. Mass equals gas. Gets it done. Complete game shutout. Really introduced himself to the south side. Uh, the game against the Cardinals uh, when we beat Jack Flaherty, who had come in, I think, 7 or 8 and 0 in that game uh, and really took it to a Cardinals team that was atop the NL Central at the time. Obviously, they've fallen off now, but they were playing some decent baseball leading into that one. And then the one that Tony and I took in together, Yasmani Grandal's walk-off double uh, against the Tampa Bay Rays to close out that series, take it from them, and gain the best record in baseball at that time. Obviously fluctuated since then, but at the time, we were on top of the world there. Those are my favorite moments. Go ahead, list off any of yours. I'll go with mine. I mean, just uh, Buzz, you and I have gotten to take it a few different uh, ball games together. Uh, You got to kiss a chicken. Um, you know, you, you did a mudslide this year. You've done some incredible things. Got to see Gavin Sheets first major league home run together. Um, got to see a lot of fireworks, met a lot of cool people. Uh, Steve, I've seen you at the ballpark. Jenny, I've seen you at the ballpark as well. We've gotten to take some games in Johnny taking, uh, my son to the ballpark on a, on an afternoon game. I know it took forever to get into the, into the lots and into the stadium, but that was, was that was a, that was, uh, yeah, it was LaRusse's fault, but Yasmani Grandal walked it off that game. Uh, just an incredible amount of, of good stuff in the first half of the season at the ballpark. Uh, I mean, we, we even all of us got to watch uh, a White Sox winner this past weekend together. So I just enjoy watching baseball with all of you guys, and I've had a really fun time this year watching this team win. Yeah, I think the tailgate was uh, one of my favorite moments of getting everybody together. I know Nani wasn't there for that one, which is uh, – I don't know if, like – the baseball gods wanted Donnie to be there with us that day because I think we, if Nani was there in the whole, you know, all four of us were together, I'm pretty sure everything would have burned down. Like it, it was just so wild. I wish you were there, but I wish it was just so wild, but that was one of my favorite moments. Another favorite moment was the uh, six home run um, clinic they put on, on dad's night, which is when Tony and I usually take a, every couple of weeks, we just take a day where we're like, yeah, we're just going to go to the ballpark and uh, unwind here for a night. You know, another great moment was, me and Nani catching the train, going downtown, meeting Steve at where was that Turtles or was that Cork and Carrie? Yeah, we went to Cork. We went to Cork. Yeah. Okay, okay. And we went there and we went and saw a White Sox winner afterwards. With Nick the, Madrigal walk off. Nick Madrigal walk off. Duke Coughlin was with us there. That was probably one of my favorite games. Um, we were all there, but we were all you know. It was just when you got into the stadium, who's together, who's not, whatever. But me and me and Steve sat together for that game. That, that was probably uh, my favorite, you know, personal moments being at the ballpark this year. 
I have one singular favorite moment of the year so far. I'm very happy of what they've done, but I'm just going to choose one, and that will be the Carlos Rodon no-hitter because he is my favorite player on this team. I mean, I, I love Rodon. I'm a big Rodon guy. I've been a big Rodon guy. You guys know that. I, I That is my favorite moment of this year because a guy like him – who, who's been doubted, obviously. I mean, hey, man, it's not because no one wanted him to succeed. It's because of the injuries. It's not that you didn't have the stuff. It's because you couldn't stay healthy. You, you know, there was issues there. Um, and Ethan Katz is also a fucking wizard, I've been told. I have sauces that told me that. He is a legit not human being. So, but uh, Carlos Rodon's no-hitter is probably my favorite moment this year against Pittsburgh because that was just... Cleveland. Cleveland, I'm sorry. What did I say? That's that was Gio last year. Sorry, I apologize. Against uh, against Cleveland, that was my like my favorite moment of the year because it, it was like I said, a guy who worked his ass off to get where he's at. He is now a first time All Star. It's fucking amazing. You guys hit on you know a lot of of the big moments here for for the season. Obviously, the tailgate uh, a couple of weeks back, being able to stone cold some beers, just ha- having a lot of fun at the torrential downpour. Uh, that was just such a, such a good time. You know, Buzz, you know, Johnny, you mentioned uh, getting together up at up at Turtles there, um, you know, before before the game um, early on in the season, just getting the whole group together and just having a good time going, seeing that magical walk off winner against Detroit. That was that was a blast. So been been a lot of great moments. I've, I've been fortunate enough to get out to 20 games already here in the, in the first half. So it's been a lot of fun for me. The the most fun and the most therapeutic was definitely just being able to be back in the ballpark on opening day. Um, I don't get sentimental about a lot of things in life, but um, not being able to go to a baseball game last year was really hard for me. I'm someone that goes you know, 30, 40 games a year and everything, and I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to do that, obviously. So that's a big part of my summer for, for six months out of the year. And, and to have that kind of taken away from me with the pandemic last year, obviously a lot of things were taken away from people a lot more important than that, but that's something that it, it means a lot to me. So to just be able to get back into the ballpark, be able to walk, you know, up that ramp on, on opening day there, be able to walk in on that concourse and smell those grilled onions for the first time there and be able to sit in those seats and be able to stare out at the field. It's just like, all right, we made it. We're home. Let's, let's go. Let's do this. Every time I hear somebody say we made it, I think, I think of that stupid Christy Ellis uh, stand-up special. We made it! Like, that's exactly how I did it when we walked in the ballpark for the first time. Because when I walked to the ballpark for the first time this year, it was with Johnny. It was, it was with Johnny. And I was so stoked to be yeah. in there. I said the same thing. I was like, oh, my God, we made it. Like, yeah. we made it. Like, it was just, oh, dude, it's it. Relive, reliving it is almost – God, I know it sounds terrible because, I mean, I fucking hate COVID and what it did. Like you said, Steve, it took, a, I mean, way more important shit than baseball. Lives, I mean, everything, you know, we, we all know that. It's fucking terrible. But when we walked back in there, it, like, made me realize how I cherish that fucking place and how much I love it. And, like, I, 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 I might have the same thing when I walk back into the United Center for the first time, boys. I might have the same thing when I walk back into Soldier Field for the first time. But there's something about the ballpark. It is my favorite stadium in the city. And to get back there was absolutely fucking amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that was kind of a moment of relief for everybody uh, that got back to White Sox baseball this year. Um, and, you know, one thing that I love is tailgating, guys. 
I love tailgating. Um, and you guys, obviously, you, you put on a great tailgate uh, with several uh, other sites, blogs here uh, in the White Sox Twitter sphere. Um, and, and, you know, obviously busted the mudslide. I saw all the highlights from it. I was driving uh, about, you know, six and a half hours up to northern Wisconsin that day. So I haven't, with them bringing that back, bringing tailgating back, I haven't been able to experience it yet. I did go to that Friday night game uh, for reopening night, but uh, that was a uh, train game. I took the train. Uh, my dad had the parking pass that we have. He drove in, so then met up with him in the game and drove back with him after. So I only went to Court and Carey before the game. Uh, I didn't get to make that first tailgate then, that Saturday. And then obviously they were. Uh, I was still on vacation during those games against the Twins. I'm going to be back. I'm hosting with Sox on Tap crew here Saturday. July 17th, White Sox Astros, 6.05, probably the best time we can possibly have game for this. So tailgate starts at 3 on Saturday. Uh, garbage can demolition. Let's go. It's going to be wild. Flags will be up in Lot B. Um, we are going to have a blast. We are going to uh, trash the Astros. I know that didn't look pretty in the series that we played in before, but, hey, we'll bring that fan energy. We'll be bringing the hate. We'll be all riled up all liquored up all lubricated from lot b uh going into that game that saturday night game so mark your calendars 3 p.m this saturday afternoon july 17th uh white Sox astros lot b tailgate we're back oh my god it's gonna be so magical it's gonna be so fun <laughs> dude it's gonna be nuts all four of us in the same place at the same time we know what happened on saturday I mean, I, oh my god can you imagine us in our element out at the ballpark Ooh, if you guys miss this, you're gonna you're gonna regret it. That's for damn sure. It's gonna be a yeah, fun time. Just, I can't uh, wait. We'll have plenty of beer, but BYOB, so we never run out. That's always we'll have coolers you can throw it in and all that. BYOB still, and uh, look for the flag. That's the easiest spot. Don't need to. We'll post a picture when we get up there, but just look for the ONTAP Sportsnet flag. It's easiest. It'll be right there uh, at the back of my car. Maybe have a couple other cars lined up alongside of it. Um, when you see the beacon, you know, come and answer it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a great way to put it. Absolutely. I don't have anything else. I don't, I don't really have anything else either. We have the home run derby starting here in a little bit. Um, I'm happy the White Sox are in first place in the AL Central, guys. I, I had fun talking with y'all. Uh, we, we got a guest appearance or three by Ren, uh, which was just absolutely great for Sox on tap. I think it was a first, really. Um, but I, I'm just excited for the second half to start. I mean, you know, it's nice to have a little bit of a break on, on some nights, maybe catch up on a TV show because if, if you're junkies like us, I don't know how the hell you watch a TV show at, at night because there's so much damn baseball that's on. You, you don't. That's how. You, you yeah, just yeah. don't. It's like, hey, did you see the new episode of Modern Family? No. It's like, what is that? I haven't watched TV no. in seven years. I don't it's know. Like I, it's about. like I always say. Um April through October is my busy time of year, and I just simply I don't have time for any TV. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I cannot wait until uh, this uh, Friday. Uh, well, I'm super excited for Tim Anderson, Carlos Rodon, Lance Lynn, and Liam Hendricks in the all-star game. Don't get me wrong, but I, I cannot wait for Friday for us to get back on, uh, you know, get, get back on a win streak here. Well, we're already on a win streak, but get back into yeah. uh, regular season play and, and, and trash the trash shows, man. Let's do it. Yeah, it, it just, uh, you know, big series coming up. So, yeah, we, we'll be uh, with the show on Friday night, but then Saturday, um, I think we're planning to get everyone out there. So Saturday is the tailgate. Um, if you're going Friday's game, double up, go Saturday too, because uh, you got you got time to recover uh, with that night game. I always try to, you know, 3-10 game, uh, you could do it. 1-10 game's a little rough on a Saturday, but 6-10, or, yeah, 6-10 start, best time for a tailgate. So we're, we're going to do it. We're going to do it up big. Absolutely, we are. 
are we going to do picks to collect for Friday's game, or are we, or you just want to ride out and just let this thing go naturally here? You already know who mine is, so God, Jesus Christ! Tony, you can we set some sort of goddamn rules here? Nani, I'm not following him. Nani, he's picked him for like three weeks straight. Yeah, that's we did, we always said from the beginning that this thing didn't really have many rules. So. Hashtag <laughs> stay on brand. The, oh, the only rules there are no rules. Yeah. yeah, the only rules are there no rules. Okay, so Tony took sheets for the seven million fucking time. So, um, all right, I, I'm just gonna, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go take TA on Friday. I don't even care. We're not even gonna do a pitching matchup here. I'm yeah, taking TA on Friday. L- Larry Legend. There you go, Steve. Jose Abreu. He's gonna start the second half big, baby. Bombs right. over Bridgeport. Let's get it. Let's get it. Anything else, boys, before we ride out here and watch some dingers? Nope. All right. Everybody be sure to go on tapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Following us on Twitter at SocksOnTap, at OnTapSportsNet. Anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to us. Five-star rating and review because that's cool and tough. Check out Grandstand. Go to GrandstandSocks.com. Follow them on socials at GrandstandSocks. If you're by the ballpark, go walk over to Grandstand. Get yourself some awesome Chicago White Sox or other Chicago sports gear. Again, that is grandstand. We'll be back on Friday when the Sox open up the series against the Houston Astros and beat the shit out of them because it's our time. It's our time. It's not their time. White Sox forever. White Sox forever. White Sox forever. That's for life.